This is the Sound Health Radio Show, where we talk about the crossroads of the environment and our health with Richard Talk to Me Guy and Sherry Edwards is off working on the soundhealthportal.com. I'd suggest going to the soundhealthportal.com, scrolling down just a bit, and checking on the Watch How button. You'll see a short video explaining how to record and submit your first recording. Then go back to soundhealthportal.com, scroll down to Current Active Campaigns. Those are free opportunities to use a software package to have your vocal print run through. And currently there's some such as BioDiet, PTSD, TBI, and or Neuroplasticity. Pick a campaign that's of interest to you, then click on the free campaign button, and you will be able to do a free vocal analysis. The system will walk you through submitting your recording. You receive an email with your report back in usually one to two hours. I suggest sitting down with a cup of tea and reviewing that, and then taking it to a practitioner that you're working with, possibly a DC or ND or functional medicine practitioner, somebody in those realms of thinking. And if you've been working on something, look and see if it's having benefit in your chart or maybe you want to work more on that. All that's available at soundhealthportal.com. To hear and share replays of this show, about 20 to 30 minutes after you hear the outro music, go to talktomeguy.com, scroll down that page, and you'll see the show at the top of the episodes page. There are also archives of hundreds of hours of shows there as well. There's a microphone icon at the bottom right corner of all the show notes. If you'd like to ask a question of the guest today, or ask me a question, or a suggestion for a guest for the show, or just say hi, just click on that button, and you'll be able to leave me a message. With that, Ed Harold blends the fields of neuroscience and the wisdom of contemplative traditions into effective strategies to improve health, performance, and overall well-being. Ed's fluency in mindfulness-based strategies, combined with a belief in the human potential, gives him the depth and understanding to meet individuals and group needs across industries and platforms. Ed is an author, inspirational leader, public speaker, coach, and educator. Ed's mastery in the neuroscience of mindful breathing blends the fields of neuroscience and the wisdom of contemplative traditions into effective strategies to improve health, well-being, and performance. Ed is the author of Life with Breath, IQ plus EQ equals New You, and Body, Mind, Business, the Business of Being Within. Ed is a contributing editor of Thrive Global, Mind, Body, Green, Huffington Post, and more. Ed's Breath's medicine trainings offer continuing education in healthcare, health and wellness, fitness, allied health, and sleep medicine communities. Ed is a breath expert for Goldie Hawn's MindUp organization. Ed is a breath master on the Breath Source app. The Breath Source breathing app offers on-demand content, courses, and live classes all centered around harnessing the potent power of your breath. Ed Harold joins us to talk about aging well with breath. Good morning, Ed. Thanks so much, Richard, for having me and sharing me with your audience today. I'm really looking forward to this. It's always a great conversation with you. Would you start you. us out with a with a short breathing moment practice? I never know the right word to bring us all here and now and clear my head and our heads. Yeah, I'd love to. So wherever you are, if you could sit up tall, lengthen your spine, relax the features of your face, your forehead, the temples, the muscles you use to move your eyes, your eyelids, your cheekbones free of tension, the area underneath the nostrils free of tension, allowing the top of the tongue to rest on the upper palate and the tip of the tongue to rest against the back of the two front teeth. Then dropping the low jaw a fraction of an inch off the upper jaw. Taking a moment to balance the skull on top of your spine. Maybe pretend you're saying yes or no. And then once your spine is completely straight and the 
skull and the brain are balanced perfectly on your spinal column. Shift your mental awareness to your breathing. And without getting too heavy about it, just simply notice that you can use your mind to tell your brain to inhale slower into your belly and then up through your ribs to the top of your chest. And notice how that makes you feel. Use your mind and tell the brain to slow down and lengthen the process of exhale. So you're exhaling longer than your inhale without straining, nothing heavy, and notice how that makes you feel. Notice what's going on in the mind, in the brain, and in the spine. If this is comfortable for you and not causing anti-mental stress or cardiovascular stress, after your next inhale, hold your breath in several moments and stop the mind and the brain right in this moment. And just be open and listen. You don't have to talk. Just observe your mind. And then go back to that long, smooth, rhythmic exhale. And know that when you're doing this longer than your inhale, you're in a weight loss program. Just go through a couple rounds of that slow motion inhale. A brief pause when the inhale is complete and before you decide to release the moment. Notice you can create stillness and silence anytime you want. And then see if you can train the brain to stay with the process of exhale or cooling down longer than you were last round. If the mind wanders away from this experience, just gently notice it and pull him or her back without any drama. Because the mind's job is to wander. The mind's job is to create thought, and we're just trying to guide it into the process of a slow motion inhale, a brief internal retention, and then an exhale longer than the last round. If this experience is not causing any mental stress or isn't causing any cardiovascular stress, if you'd like another layer, when your exhale is complete, before you decide to inhale and create another moment for yourself, pause several seconds and hold the breath out and notice how that feels. There's no rushing. There's no straining. There's no man-made time. In fact, you need do nothing. Pay attention to your inhale. Hold the breath in several seconds. Exhale longer than your inhale. And then pause and hold the breath out several seconds. Extremely simple. Don't make it any harder than it has to be. See if you can find a spot in your mind where we can't complain today about our circumstances. See if you can find a spot in your mind where we can't project yesterday onto tomorrow. See if you can find a spot in your mind where we can use stress so that stress doesn't use and turns us into something that we are not. Okay, well, we're in the door. We're in the mind. We're in the deeper mind. 
were not in the surface mind any longer. That wasn't hard. Now, really, without straining, let's go back to the beginning. Straighten your spine a little more. Refine the balancing of the skull on top of the spine so there's zero point balance there. Go to your eyes and jaw and release any residual tension from past events. Now, with the greatest of care, slow down your inhale even more. Hold the breath in several seconds and be open in that space and look and listen inside your mind. Ride that wave of exhalation, that sweet wave of cooling down to completion, and then pause before you inhale again. Several rounds, my friends. And for the last couple rounds, if you're not accessing any cardiovascular stress or any mental stress and you want to go a little deeper, when you're holding the breath in and only when you're holding the breath in, use your mind, use your brain, and squeeze all 600 muscles onto your 200 bones with an isometric contraction while you hold the breath in. And do it without straining. So you're going to squeeze your thighs, your buttock muscles, your abdominal muscles, the upper gym muscles, isometrically contracting them while you're holding the breath in. There's going to be a big rush of energy and heat, CO2 buildup, and you're going to exhale it beautifully. When you're holding in, using your personal awareness, how many muscles can you actually contract at one time? So just use groups of muscles, pectoral muscles, latimus muscles, quadricep muscles, hamstring muscles. Use groups, gluteus maximus muscles. And let this round be your last round. Now, here's the most important part, landing the mental and physical plane. So letting go of control of the breath and bringing yourself back to homostasis or balance. This is the part where you really want to pay attention. And once your heart rate and blood pressure come back down from this experience, you might notice barely need to breathe to stay alive and be alert. So you're using the least amount of energy in this moment. You're being energy efficient. And the brain loves that. And just notice where you are now and where you were several minutes ago. And did you find value in this? Thank you, Richard. All right. Mic drop. That's been great. We'll see you next week. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's always good. It always gets so quiet in my head when you do that. <laughs> it's really quite amazing. I've yeah, I've fun. read. It's, it's really fun. Um, well, I... I was going to ask you a question, but I have to say that I, I wish I'd known this work for all my years of chefing, my 20 or so years of chefing. My meditation was going to the gym and working out hard because it got the stress of the day out of my body. But I knew about, wish I knew about breathing then. It, when I hear the noises of a gym, I think of people doing it mostly the wrong way. A lot of sucking of wind, a lot of that versus this kind of thing where you come into focus and you relax and you work with it versus fighting. There was a lot of fighting in the gym in the sense of fighting to lift that extra weight versus this kind of thinking where you become present at the moment and then take a breath and then you do that. It would be amazing and probably better workout. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of science out there about why we feel good after exercise. 
and I like to simplify it. You know, number one, what is exercise? And exercise could be a combination of detoxicity and rejuvenation to the cells of our body in the most simplistic terms. It's the interplay of gases between oxygen, carbon dioxide, hydrogen, helium, uh, the molecules of inhale and exhale. When you think about X or size, what are we doing? We're tapping into our X, our old self, in, inside ourselves and size. So we're moving with our old self as fuel, emotional states, moods, thoughts of what we've been. And we're kind of clearing the way for a better future. So exercise, you know, we all bring emotions to our exercise routine. And whatever the dominant emotions are of the day, that's the fuel that you want to use to move the body against the environment and to move the mind consciously, subconsciously, and unconsciously. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this this will this leads me to ask my real opening question. I've I've read or heard because by now it's always a blur about which one that is. You say breath work is the untapped fountain of youth. And I'm really interested in that angle. I've been talking more with people about aging and older folks who are still very active. So talk about that fountain of youth, would you please? Well, it, it's very simple. If we change our, our mental expectation of exercise to something therapeutic in nature, so when I'm going to go exercise, and this could be any type of exercise, going for a walk, going to a gym, going to a race, I'm going to go race. Either way, I have the ability with my mind's lens to be therapeutic in what I'm doing. So there is a medical value that I'm going to get to know myself a little bit better as I push up against the resistance that the walking or the weights or the yoga or the racing is going to bring to my mind. You know, the same stresses that we have out of our exercise routine are the same stresses that we have in our nine to five life. They're the exact same thing. We've just changed the external environment. So when we go to the breath first, rather than, okay, I'm straining, my heart rate's up, my blood pressure's up, I better focus on my breath now and get my heart rate down because this isn't fun anymore. When we go to the breath first and we warm the respiratory system up first, our cardiovascular system second, and our neuromuscular skeletal system third, some amazing things begin to happen inside in our exercise routine that take us deeper into our mind, deeper into our perception of ourselves, deeper into the story that we tell ourselves. And to me, when I'm exercising and I'm raising my heart rate or I'm doing something that I'm focusing on, I want it to be all about me. I want it to be all about my story. I want it to be about my failures and my successes. I want it to be about the truths and the lies. I want it to be about pain and pleasure. So I don't want my brain and my mind to be distracted. So number one, the people who I work with, we never, we tr- let's say never, it's a strong word, but I don't want you wearing headphones. I don't want you being, I don't want your mind being distracted by the emotional story of your emotional muscles being used in the gym routine. I want you to tune into your story because your story is the best story ever told. You don't need to listen to a song that you like that takes you out into some fantasy world or take you into a song that stops time and brings you back to 1982. This is not time for that. Do that on the couch when you're not moving your body, when your heart rate's not up because heart disease is the number one killer. So always look to move your thoracic diaphragm. Always look to extract the oxygen from the CO2. Remember, you're exhaling as much oxygen as you're inhaling. And pay attention to the, uh, the dominant emotion that's present in your mind. 
And remember, emotion is energy in motion. So when you focus your thoughts in your exercise routine with a good breathing practice that you can apply to your cardio, weights, uh, resistance, whatever flavor you're doing that day, you're going to naturally go deeper into yourself. And when you think about going into yourself, I mean going to your heart. You know, the surface mind is the ego mind in the brain, and it gets you through your day. It's nine to five. It's a beautiful thing, and it gets things done, and it pays the bills. That's not really why you're here on Earth. You're here on Earth to discover and live in your deeper mind, and that's the mind of the heart. So for most people, I I don't mean this condescendingly, I could unplug 95% of your brain, and you'd still be fine. And in fact, you might even be better just living from the brain in your heart. And when we, I, I want to jump slightly, this is still in the same category. There's a lot of conversation, of, you talk specifically about mouth versus nasal breathing. And I've, I had an aha thought about this. Does mouth breathing send some kind of hormone message to our brain of urgency or fear or some I don't know what the word, I don't know what the hormone word is, but it seems like nasal breathing, like what we just did now with the nasal breathing, I'm much calmer, I'm much here, I'm much more present. Whereas mouth breathing, breathing send, seems to send a different message to the brain, like we're running or something different. Am I thinking that correctly? Yeah. You know, I try to train people to do at least 90% of their workout in and out through the nose. You know, everything, everything works on suction and pressure, okay? And the nasal airway is a lot smaller than the mouth. It's about 50% harder to breathe through your nose than it is through your mouth, and you get about 100% better rewards. So the mouth is designed for breathing and the nose is designed, or the mouth is designed for eating and the nose is designed for breathing. And the breathing through the mouth is an emergency breathing mechanism when the nose becomes clogged with mucus and phlegm and we become sick. Or the mouth breathing can be used in a life-threatening situation where you need a little hyperventilation to bring up a lot of adrenaline temporarily to get you back to safety, like you're being chased by an animal or you're chasing something that you want to get. It's no way to exercise. And... When you think about the breathing through the mouth, the air is only exchanged in the top of the lungs, and the lung physiology of the top of the lungs is sympathetic. So in other words, it is the cortisol and adrenaline of the autonomic nervous system. And it's designed to shut down healing in the body, and it's designed to create safety or get you to safety. There isn't any vertical movement to the thoracic diaphragm. So if you don't know where the thoracic diaphragm is, if you take your fingertips and you bring them to your solar plexus and you just slide them out six inches and you feel those floating ribs, and then when you inhale, you'll feel the floating ribs pull down and you'll feel the thoracic diaphragm muscle come out into your fingertips. Now you'll notice if you do that through your nose, that's what you feel. If you breathe through your mouth, notice you don't get that feeling. The air can only be exchanged in the top of your lungs. So you won't get that pumping motion of suction and pressure that is so important to massaging the gastrointestinal organs so they don't get cancer. So we need to distribute oxygen in these organs to stop the growth of free radicals, which hijack the cell's behavior inside these organs, and then over a period of time, the organ will fail and there'll be cancer there. Another thing, when you breathe through your mouth, which is really cool, well, it's not cool, oh, mouth breathing is cooler than nostril breathing. So you'll have to, if you're in an exercise routine and you're breathing through your mouth, to move your muscles, bones, and joints faster to create the heat that you require to detox yourself. And since muscles, bones, and joints, as we age, dry out and become arthritic, which is not good, 
So we have to keep that youthful vibrancy of moisture inside the body. And mouth breathing is dehydrating. So it's cooling, but you're going to have to work out. You're going to have to run more miles. You're going to have to bike more miles. You're going to have to lift more weights. You're going to have to do more yoga. And that's going to also keep your heart rate up higher. And then heart disease is the number one killer. What does that mean? Well, it means you might be 50 years old, but your heart has beated as much as an 85-year-old. So breathing through your nose, you're strengthening your respiratory response to keep your heart rate and blood pressure down. When it comes to the brain, when you breathe through your mouth, notice you can't keep your tongue on the upper palate. So the tongue muscle will follow the low jaw down when the mouth opens. Now, when the brain sees the tongue off the upper palate, it goes into a panic mode. The amygdala, the fight or flight center of the brain, which runs that whole department of adrenaline cortisol, the HPA axis of the brain, shuts down digestion, immunity drops, mucus forms, inflammatory markers drop, oxygen drops, oxygen levels in our bloodstream drops. The amygdala senses the tongue off the upper palate and begins to panic. So when you look at exercise, you know, as a therapeutic application, that's not creating a therapeutic application of health. And you're actually working a lot harder than you have to, to get yourself healthy, which means when you're done, your immune system is going to have to work twice as hard to clean up the mess that you just created from the mouth breathing in your exercise routine. Hmm. Wow. And I didn't mean to jump to this, but we'll get back to the where we were. Is there any point at which we can we be too old and start doing breathing? Can we start, you know, let's say some of us are in our 70s. Can I start breathing now and I'll still have benefit? It would have been better if I'd started in my 30s or 20s. However, we're always going to have benefit from doing Nasal breathing, that's in the form of a question that I can't make. <laughs> so, you know, you can change your mind about your breathing today. And you can make sure that today you just sat quietly in a chair on your couch or going for a walk. And you showed your brain, you introduced to your brain consciously that I want to control the length, depth, and pace of my inhale and exhale, and I want to do it to my nose, and I want to breathe through my nose, not my mouth. Now, we all know that the subconscious brain runs the show basically 95% of the time. So when you consciously, no matter what your age, when you consciously introduce something on a daily basis to the two prefrontal cortexes of your brain and your hippocampus over 30 days this will start to wedge its way into your subconscious programming and start to rewire or sometimes it's called neuroplasticity because the brain is plastic and you can change how synapses dendrites work in the brain over a period of 28 days, you can begin to push into your subconscious brain and introduce to the brain these new habits. And let's face it, we're all, we're habitual creatures. We're human beings. And we can always learn new things. And that's really the, the curiosity of life, no matter what your neuromat, you know, number age, is really one of the keys of your level of mental health, learning one new thing every day and forgetting one old thing that has no bearing on the amazing person who you are right now is key. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to step slightly sideways, but it's, it's all, we're, we're going to flow. This all relates to its effects, its benefits or effects on the autonomic and or parasympathetic systems. So right. let's talk about that because that's really, that's a big segment. And then we'll talk about thoracic diaphragmatic breathing because I think that I 
listened to something or read something recently you did on that, and I thought, wow, I never thought about it that way. But let's start with the basic of autonomic and parasympathetic, please. So the exhale through the nose is parasympathetic. It's, it's an organic, natural response from our DNA that creates a relaxation response in the mind and in the body. Parasympathetic is the opposite of sympathetic. There's hormonal and neurochemistry that activates dopamine and serotonin. So dopamine is a hormone that gives us the emotion of accomplishment and we feel good about ourselves. Serotonin is something that unwinds something that's too wound up, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. It's cooling. So most of us are overheated. Blood pressure is up, out of rhythm. And this throws off the sympathetic and parasympathetic balance that comes from inhale and exhale. The inhale is sympathetic. So when you think about that, there's a slight spike to our heart rate when we inhale. And this is designed to activate the front centers of the brain and our sense organs so that we gain information about our surroundings. And at the basic level is where we are, is it safe or unsafe? Is this a, an environment that I can trust or do I need to have my spider sense up a little bit about that. I don't really trust this environment. This is fundamental to our safety because the brain's job is to keep you alive. It's not to be happy. So <laughs> happiness is more of an emotion. It's more of a mood. It's more of a habit of self-satisfaction. The brain's got nothing. The brain's actually the problem because <laughs> the brain is constantly on alert that you're going to die. You know, you go to your brain with something that throws you off just a little bit, you've been triggered, and the brain will naturally go on a scale of 1 to 10, it'll go to 11. It'll scare the, the Jesus out of you. When you're like, brain, okay, I get it, I've been triggered, but it's basically the caps off the toothpaste. So, you know, understanding what the brain's job is and what the heart's job is and what the microbiome of the gut's job is, and they all work better when we exhale longer than our inhale, and we do it through the nose. When you think about our habits, our habits are stored in our fat cells, not our glucose. So glucose is for the brain. You've got 90 minutes of it every day that you can utilize. The fat stores are old behavior. We know that 85% of fat burning takes place from the lungs on a nostril exhale. The remaining 50% of the waste is burned through sweat, urination, and evacuation of the bowels. And this isn't widely known. So it's important for folks to know that if there's any difficulty in your life, okay, it's gonna begin. It's gonna to start to resolve itself with you staying with the exhale burning the fat cells that are storing that story and you begin to turn that trigger around where you're not being triggered and you're actually grateful for that story because it allows you to create and grow again like the innocence of a child. And say more about that diaphragmatic breathing in the gut. That was that's an amazing thing that, as I say, reading and listening, I heard this. I've heard you say it before, but this time it really dropped in for me. How how that affects us so much and our hormone stores and availabilities. It's really, and let alone helps with heart rate. It's all tied together. I mean, we are a system. Yeah. But this is really quite amazing. So the diaphragm is the most important muscle out of all 610 muscles, and you're never going to see it in the mirror. You can't work it in the gym with a machine. 
as much as the diaphragm muscle is the number one muscle, the creator only gave it one motor nerve. So you have this huge muscle that starts down at lumbar four five in your spine, and it has these muscle strings like a parachute that supports the muscle so that it separates your chest cage from your upper belly. And having only one motor nerve, it's called your phrenic nerve, so that when you begin to control the length, depth, and pace of your inhale, and you're controlling the movement of this thoracic diaphragm muscle, you're strengthening the electrical current that moves through this phrenic nerve, which in turn then will cause the muscle to thicken, strengthen like you're using weights, but it will also cause it to become more flexible. It'll have more range of motion. It'll be able to inhale further down into your upper abdomen. And when you think about the upper abdomen, I want you to think about four organs. I want you to think on the right side of your belly. If you can touch the upper right side of your belly, you're touching your liver and your gallbladder. And your liver plays a huge role in your level of energy. And it takes a tremendous amount of energy for you to be you every day at the 101 level. It takes an even more tremendous amount of energy for you to consciously change your subconscious habits that have taken you this far in your life. And a lot of those subconscious habits you, you need to let go of. They're actually holding you back. So we need a lot of energy, but we want calm energy. If you bring your fingertips to the left side of your upper belly, that's your stomach and spleen. So how well and efficient are you digesting your food, the digestive enzymes? And what is the health of your blood and your spleen? The spleen is closely linked to your kidneys, and we need our blood to be free of toxins. So the thoracic diaphragm on the inhale acts as a thoracic plunger, and it's plunging down onto your gastrointestinal organs with great force as you learn to control the length, depth, and pace of your inhale. This massage that takes place on these organs breaks up a lot of mucus, phlegm, and fat that impairs oxygen distribution to these gastrointestinal. We want these organs to be free and as clear as waste as they were 30 years ago. And that's when you had so much more energy to be you. So when you begin to control this diaphragm's movement coming down, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to improve your digestion, elimination, and assimilation, whatever you're putting in your mouth. So you become more efficient that way. So waste isn't in your body as long, and you can assimilate that into energy faster and utilize it in your brain. So you're more awake. You're not asleep. Notice when you lengthen that inhale and that thoracic diaphragm presses down. Notice the quality of your spine. Notice how it supports a straight spine. It activates these tendons that hold the psoas muscles, which are in the inside of your hips, which connect the lower torso with the upper torso. It's amazing. The thoracic diaphragm actually has tendons from your solar plexus that run all the way down inside your two front hip bones that connect to your legs. So if you're in a chair right now and you lift your right knee up off the ground, the core muscle that's doing that is your psoas muscle. And as we age, we lose our connection to these core muscles. And I like, don't like, really like the word core. I like to lose the E and use cord, cord, spinal cord, cord, psoas muscles. We need these cords to be vibrant and circulating fresh oxygen with limited amount of in, excessive inflammation. So learning how to strengthen the thoracic diaphragm is, number one, it's going to create longevity. Number two, it's going to reduce inflammatory markers, and it's going to increase oxygenation and oxygen saturation into your muscles, bones, joints, and organs. And talk about the amount of hormones that are stored and, I believe, created, if I can extrapolate that out, in that in the gut. 
that part was really surprising to me. I mean, I've heard it before, but it really this time dropped in about the serotonin, dopamine, and effects on our immune system. Please. So you, you have your central nervous system, you have your brain and the tail, the spine, and then you have your somatic nervous system, which is your peripheral nervous system. In other words, I'm, I can touch my forearm and I sense sensation. That's my peripheral nervous system. It reads the external environment. It's little nerve endings on the fascia, the soft tissue. And then there's another nervous system called your autonomic nervous system which is basically what's happening automatically underneath your conscious control, which is keeping you alive right now. And there's the autonomic nervous system is doing thousands of things right now, keeping you alive and you have no idea what it's doing. Now there's another part of the autonomic nervous system that has a dual switch. In other words, if I don't want to control my breathing, my autonomic nervous system will do it for me. But if I want to hack my autonomic nervous system, I can control the length, depth, and pace of my inhale and exhale. In other words, I can bring, I can control sympathetic and parasympathetic activity. I can hack into that. Now, there's another minor nervous system, the last nervous system, uh, the fifth part of the five nervous system. It doesn't get a lot of play, but it's called the enteric or enteric nervous system that rests in your solar plexus. So when we strengthen and lengthen this thoracic diaphragm and its ability to move down into your upper belly, into your microbiome, in the upper part of your belly, there is the enteric nervous system. And this is where 90% of the body's serotonin and 50% of the body's dopamine resides. Two major, major hormones that play a huge role in how we feel about ourselves how we feel about the world, how we feel is going to play a huge role in our ability to let go and digest and eliminate and assimilate our nutrition and beverages quickly and efficiently. So if you're in a fear state, your brain is telling your enteric nervous system to turn off the serotonin and dopamine slow down digestion, we need to keep food in the body because there's an enemy out there that we either have to run away from, and we're going to need energy for that, or we're going to have to sit here and duke it out with this intruder. We're going to have to fight, or if that doesn't work, we're going to freeze like a deer on the highway, and then that never turns out well. That fight, flight, freeze. The hormones, predominant hormones of the belly Serotonin and dopamine are activated in a relaxed, smoothing, flowing way so that we can be in rhythm in a 24-hour cycle for digestion and elimination of the food that we're taking into the body. And in that mix, where do the emotions fit? Are the emotions somewhere in between the communication of the, because I know serotonin is soothing, dopamine is stimulating or the reward, but I just have a feeling that also our emotions are in that mix. Are they sort of a spin-off of one of those two hormones? Yeah. So the feeling world, the feeling memory, of how we felt about things in the past is stored in the brain in something called our limbic system. Now, the body is feeling in real time, in the present moment, and it's either looking out through your five sense perception at the environment and making a decision, safe, unsafe, I don't know, or it's looking into your movie that you're watching in your head into these feelings, and it's saying safe, unsafe, or I don't know. See, the great part about emotional intelligence is it's very raw, and it's almost a naked form of intelligence. It can just come to us very, very quickly. Out of left field, all of a sudden, I don't feel good, or I feel great. And we're really exposed in the feeling world of emotional intelligence. Now, the great part about emotional intelligence is it's not like the head in the sense that there's only, three, there's only three answers to every emotional question. You either agree, 
disagree, or I don't know, or it's either pain, pleasure, or I don't know yet. So this raw form of intelligence for most of us needs to cool down. We need to chill out. We can get thrown off so quickly today. And a lot of that can be traced back to the food that we're eating today is not the food we were eating when we were a kid. The topsoil of the earth in dire straits, and it doesn't hold the same nutrition that it was when we were kids, and we can feel our nervous system is, is working overtime to keep us in emotional balance because we're not getting the minerals that the body requires to keep the brain steady. And what happens is we use emotion instead of intellect to move things along, and most of the time that's not a good choice for us. And didn't think during the show I'd use this phrase, but I will. The total toxic load from the environment around us, as you say, the the microbiome or the health of our soil, but there's also the oh, let's pick one of my favorites, glyphosate or Roundup that's in the atmosphere. It's in our foods. It's in maybe you know mom's breast milk. I mean, it's just everywhere. So I think also it acts as an irritant. We we have a total toxic load just from the environment we're in unless we live on a mountaintop somewhere far away and drink yak tea. And I think that makes us in a slightly more hypertonistic state. We're already in a state of like, what's that part of your, like you say, agree, disagree. I think our body disagrees with glyphosate or other neurotoxins. And so we have that as sort of a given now, as you say, in the old times when we were kids or when I was kids, we didn't have that. Now we do, and I think that makes this even mm, trickier. So I think the, the benefit of what you're talking about with the breath and keeping the gut as healthy as possible seems extremely powerful. Even though we have that as we still have that as a given, but it, not, we can't leave our body enough to get away from glyphosate or other neurotoxins, because I consider it a neurotoxin as well. So I think what you're talking about really helps at least getting our space balanced and at ease, less hypertonistic. I know you were going to say something there. No, well, you know, I, I try to say to my patients and clients that there really is no other health besides mental health. It's your perceptions. It's what you're projecting. And, and good mental health can be traced back to a good sense of self which would mean that you can identify good emotion, bad emotion, earlier on in the process of emoting. With what's going on and what you just spoke about, the nervous system of the body, I mean, in the last 20 years, and you add in the computers, the heavy metals, our nervous system is in a panic. There's a lot of different breathing exercises out there, and there's a lot of people out there teaching a lot of breathing. And I'm telling you right now, at the state of what our nervous system is in the world today, you, my suggestion would be is all the breathing that you're doing predominantly should be parasympathetic. It should be really cooling. It should be really nurturing because you know, 20, 30 years ago, you could do a lot of the really super powerful breathing exercises, and you had the container in your nervous system to hold it. You could land the plane. You could process your emotions. You could figure things out. But where we are now with the food, the lack of minerals, and the nervous system begging for peace, you just need gentle gentle breathing to get what you require, which is really a more balanced sense of self. You don't need a lot of the heavy, heavy practices that are out there that are, you know, transforming in, in that sense. It's what you can, like what we did earlier is plenty. The idea is to feel good. And how do I get to the point of feeling good doing the least amount of heat and damage as possible to get me to feeling good. So this leads me to ask, 
on Instagram, and I'll post a link to this in the show notes, I see you doing this thing where you lay down in what would be amazingly cold water because I know that there's snow on the shores and that I've been in that, not where you're located, but I've been in my many years of backpacking in the Ventana wilderness. We would go and land someplace and we'd be in melting snow water and it's cold, man, it is cold. And when you're doing this and you're, you're having joy, you're not in angst. You're like breathing into it and having a good time. But it's really, 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 really cold water. Is that bringing you into the moment? What What is that? I mean, I know it's joyful. I, I mean, I've had the experience, so I understand the feeling, but I can't relate the, what is that? Why is that so joyful or invigorating? Well, we know why it's invigorating, but why do you do that? I guess I'll ask. Well, there's a part of me that doesn't want to do it. So that keeps it interesting yeah. because when you, when you go into the cold water initially, it's cold and it's really cold. Mm-hmm. So my ego doesn't want to have anything to do with it because my ego doesn't want to change at all. It's, you know, constantly tells me lies about life. <laughs> and every time I listen to it, I end up, what did you listen to that voice for? So, you know, if you think about life today, we're all inflamed. We can't sleep. We're overheated. Our blood pressure is up. We're circulating lower levels of oxygen. We get triggered by any little thing, politically, religious, you know, racial, whatever it is. So we're, we're all being tr- triggered in a way where we can't see the unity in our diversity. So it's always, you know, my way or the highway. This is all heating. This is all stuff that's burning us up. The quality of our life is going way down. So we're not thriving anymore. And thriving is an inside job. So, again, going back to everything that I'm doing in my life is therapeutic in its application, or I try not to do it. I want to understand why I'm doing something. So if I'm hot, wouldn't it make perfect sense to put myself in the environment of cold? The cold Number one, pulls you into the present moment. And that's where reality is, or real life. Real life takes place in this moment. And by the time it comes out of my lips, it's already in the past. The future's not here yet. So when we're stressed out and overheated, notice the mind won't sit. It won't be in the present. It'll be in yesterday or tomorrow, or last year or last or next month. So getting present is really one of the keys to paying attention in a relaxed way. So the cold water takes the surface of my body where I'm overheated, inflamed, sick, filled with mucus, phlegm, and fat. And what it does is takes the core temperature of my body, which is a different measurement of temperature, and it takes the core temperature and it tells it to turn up. So to keep my body temperature at a functional level and the surface of my body being cold from the cold water, the core temperature then rises as if I'm exercising, burning fat as my fuel source where my old story and habit is. So going into the cold water, it heats up your core and then the core comes out to the surface and breaks up a lot of the mental, emotional, physical adhesions of pain, destructive emotions, improper thoughts of myself and my value that I bring, and it incinerates them. And then when you get out of the cold water, the same thing happens that happened after we did our breathing. What happened after we got done our breathing? Notice we were barely breathing. So we didn't need to breathe to be completely alive, to use the least amount of energy as possible, to keep our heart rate and blood pressure in balance, to metabolizing our fat rather than our sugar, and the thoughts that are going by our mind are coming by very, very slowly. So we have great command over the mind. So it really is a very powerful way of bringing you completely and totally into the present moment, which is a powerful place to be. It's the only place to be. 
It's the only place that's real. Everything else is just a dream. Mm -hmm. It's a hallucination. Yeah. So if you want to change your life, you got to learn how to pay attention. And I forget. Soon as Go you ahead. Pay attention of your breath. Notice your presence. What level of presence are you bringing to your story? Mm -hmm. And as we move toward the exit, I'm surprised we're here already. This is, it, it feels like breath is an amazing thing to, to get together the heart, mind, body, what I will call relationship. When we're not in the present moment, we seem to slip out of one of those. We're doing something with our body, but we're not thinking. Or back to what you were talking about with people who are, I see people out bicycling in beautiful places, and I used to be a touring cyclist. And I see people out in nature listening to, like, loud music or a lecture or something, and I'm thinking, what are you doing? <laughs> you're in this, A, you could be in danger if you're on a paved surface, and B, you're out in this spectacular place. Why, how about just being in that spectacular place? So that's back to the heart-mind-body connection relationship affected by breath everything that's going on inside you is being controlled by your breath if you don't like what's going on outside of you in your world you're going to have to change your inner world's perception of what's going on in the outer world to produce any type of change we live in two worlds on one planet you have the inner world thoughts feelings sensations the outer world, perceptions and projections, objective states of consciousness. So everyone, get control of your breath. Get control of your heart's intelligence and wedge it into the parts of the brain and your subconscious that might be impeding the beauty that's available to you before you check out. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you. I want to go. I want to do this, Richard. We can all do this. I, I have to take us just a little bit long because I want to ask you a question. This is for everybody, but this is also as we age, sleeping can often be more difficult or I'll call it tricky. Is there something we can do when we wake up in the night thinking too much or what I call head noise? Is there some short breathing practice or some tool you have in your quiver that we can use to calm that and go back to sleep easily? Yes. Great. Oh, simple technique. Simple technique. If you've awakened in the middle of the night, what's happened is that your right nostril has become more efficient than your left. And your right nostril on the inhale is sympathetic in what it brings to the qualities of your brain. Your left nostril is parasympathetic. It's relaxing. It's calming. It's based in serotonin, which is a prerequisite for melatonin, which is the sleep hormone. So what I would suggest is if you've awakened in the middle of the night, first thing, don't go into the pity party and poor me, you know, I'm going to, tomorrow is going to be terrible and project that out. Okay. Hmm. The bottom line is that this, if you want to check this out, when you wake up notice your right nostril is moving more wind at 2 o'clock in the morning when you wake up and when it was at 10 o'clock when you went to sleep. So what you would do is you would turn off the sympathetic breathing channel, the right nostril. How would you do that? Well, you would take your right thumb and you would close off your right nasal channel. You would inhale as slowly as you can up your left nasal channel. And when the inhale is complete, Close off the left nostril with one of your fingers. Release the right thumb and exhale down the right to completion. And then close off the right, open the left. The left nostril is the parasympathetic, calming, cooling, relaxation channel to the brain. And inhale slowly up the left. Don't strain. Just fill the lungs slowly. Close off the left nostril. Exhale right to completion. Because remember, the exhale is also parasympathetic. So close off the right nostril, inhale up the left, 
slow motion inhale, close off the left, exhale right. So we're doing something called unilateral breathing. It's coming in the left nose. It's coming out the right nose, in the left nose, out the right. These are all parasympathetic nerve endings in the nostrils. Now, this will turn off the adrenaline and cortisol, which has brought the heart rate up and the blood pressure up, which has awakened you. It will bring all calming neurochemistry and calming hormonal secretions to the body, and you'll fall asleep in five to ten breaths. Wow, that's the whole show right there. That's great. Thank you. That's a condition Thank I you. have. I'll wake up. I'll wake up thinking. And I don't need to be thinking when I'm sleeping. So that's awesome. Thank you. Uh, Thank and you, that Richard. was great. We could do this once a week for a while or a couple of weeks. Um, wonderful information as always. Thank you, sir. Everybody else, have a great rest of the weekend, and I'll see you next week. Bye bye. <laughs>